I'm going to invite you to take your copy of God's Word to the sixth chapter of the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 6, and you already have a sense of what we're going to be addressing today. I'm thankful for Roman and coming up to offer a greeting and welcome, and also let you know that during this month of September, we're going to be emphasizing participating in small groups that will launch, Lord willing, the first Sunday of October. So just taking a a month here, and this message in particular today, just to speak on this topic of small groups. As you're turning there, let me just make you aware of so many different things taking place in our church as we turn the corner. Now into September, kids are back to school Um, on this coming Wednesday. Don't worry about bringing up slides on this, but this coming Wednesday, we're, our students, as well as our kids, are having a back-to-school party. Uh, there'll be pizza served, and you know what more reason do you need than, than to come together for supper? This Wednesday at 6 o'clock, all those kids and their families are going to be joining us for Awana this coming school year, as well as our students. We're going to be coming uh, to the church house this Wednesday at 6 o'clock. I also want to make you aware that there will be some new adult classes that will begin a week from Wednesday. You might remember that when we did a message on being filled with the Spirit, I mentioned I think it would be helpful for us to have a course on the Holy Spirit. And so Francis Chan has a wonderful one from many years ago called The Forgotten God. It's a seven-week class. And then, just to be candid, what we have noticed within our Awana is that sometimes that parents will come and drop their kids off and they'll run some errands. And what we would really love is to have those parents remain with us and we're going to provide a first-class parenting class while Awana is going on called The Art of Parenting. Now, we've offered this before through Family Life Ministries and that'll begin a week from Wednesday so it's just an invitation. Who doesn't need help with parenting? I mean, all of us that are parents need help. And so this is going to be a great class that will be offered beginning a week from this Wednesday. And then I'd also remind you, uh, those of you who are newer to our church, beginning next Sunday is our new member class. And so that starts at 9 o'clock and it runs for approximately seven weeks. Would you look with me here at Luke chapter 6? And I just want to read verses 12 through 16. In these days, he went out to the mountain to pray. And all night, he continued in prayer to God. And when they came, he called his disciples and he chose from them twelve whom he named apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew his brother, and James and John, and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Would you just pray with me now? Father, as we look at this passage, 
we see Jesus surrounding himself with a group of men that he would befriend, that he would walk with, talk with, eat with, and impart his life in. And as we look now at his example to us, help us to to take an honest look at our own self and say, do I have guys like this? Do I have women like this in my life? Do I have other couples like this that I am sharing life with as well? And, And may we have intentional friendships that are stirring us up towards good works of becoming more like Jesus with each passing day. Now, would you use these few verses to to direct our message today? In Jesus' name, amen. I think you would agree with me that life can be difficult, life can be lonely. We can be surrounded by thousands of people and still feel painfully isolated. I can think of a time just a few years ago when I went to a pastor's conference where there was over 10,000 people there, and I was so lonely for my family and for my friends back here in Wisconsin. We have not been designed to live our lives isolated with one another. When God created Adam, he said, it is not good that man be alone. And that is true not only of singleness and marriage, but it's also just about life. Life can be very challenging, and and it can go a lot smoother when we have relationships that are helping us along. Even a few days ago on Friday, my day off, I was transplanting some trees from one section of our yard to another. And I I got to a place where I couldn't do it alone. I was trying to keep this one tree up and fill it in with dirt and make sure I watered it. So I called out to the house for one of my sons to come out, and one of them came. There are projects that we have, are there not, that require at least one other person. And the Christian life is just like that. It is not a solo project. And in our room this morning, here in the auditorium, you may be on the severe end of the introvert spectrum. But you still need another person or two in your life that cares for you, that knows your name and knows what you are going through. Each of us that have been a Christian for a little while probably can relate to some degree to my story. Several years ago, I attended Highland Crest. I moved here from the other side of the state, and I used to sit right on the second row right here. And I was that type of guy that got here at 1014 and left immediately after the last note was played. I I made a beeline. Sometimes I'd try to beat the pastor and his wife uh, so they wouldn't even greet me out that door. I was like, I can do this on my own. But then trouble came into my life, and I realized how strong or 
how weak I actually was. I had no family on this side of the state and how much I needed relationships. So that's what we want to speak about this whole month is the importance of us having a group of friends that not only know our name, but know what we are going through. I meet with a man every other week. We get together. Sometimes it's just a walk. Sometimes it's with a a Frisbee, and we're, we're throwing it, doing some Frisbee golf. But he has access to my life, and he asks me six different questions. How are you doing? How has God encouraged you since the last time we met? How are you doing at loving your wife as Christ loved the church? How can you grow in that? How are you doing at mirroring your heavenly father to your children? How can you grow in that? How has your purity been? With a a list of subset questions under that. And how can I pray for you? As a church, we exist to know Jesus and to make Jesus known. And so what I'd like to do today is just look at this passage of just a few verses and see how did Jesus do ministry? I think what we'll see here is Jesus surrounded himself with friends, and then they did ministry together. So the first point of our our message today is Jesus surrounded himself with a group of friends to carry out his mission. Look again at verse 12. It says, in these days, he went out to the mountain to pray. And all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples. The context here, we could just look up the verse preceding this in verse 11. And and Jesus has just healed a man with a withered hand. But in response to that, it says that the Pharisees were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. He is experiencing some opposition. And it's a clue to the reader that Jesus will eventually die. He will give up his life on the cross as a sacrifice for the sinners of this world that they might have forgiveness of sins, they might have a relationship with the Heavenly Father. He would be raised to life three days later and ascend back into heaven. Jesus, knowing this, says, here's the plan. I've got I've to identify a group of men that I can invest in that will carry this mission forward when I'm gone. It's an incredible plan that he has. And that's exactly what he does. So he goes up to the mountain to pray. I don't know how many of you have prayed through the night before. I think I try that frequently, but I don't make it very long. And I'll get up in the middle of the night, and I'll I'll try to continue to pray, but I'll fall asleep, and I might get up again and, and continue to pray. But to Jesus' credit, he prayed through the evening. And he's trying to connect here with the Father, who who he himself and the Father are one, but get insight because this is a big deal. I need to get this right. I need to identify, God, what is your plan? Who are these men that you want me to instill and part my life to? So he gathers these 12 
men. Those of you who understand the Old Testament understand the significance of the number 12. There were 12 tribes of Israel. And now there will be 12 true Israelites and that these are 12 people that are true followers of God, true children of God. Of course, we'll find out near the end of this passage that one of them will be a traitor. What criteria does Jesus use? Well, it's hard to tell, but I think if we were to look through these list of 12 men, we would see that these were ordinary men. And while Jesus did preach to the masses, his primary ministry was to this small group of men. If we look at a parallel passage here, in Mark chapter 3, what we would find out is after he has assembled these 12 men with him, they go to his home, and they would meet in a home. And when we look at how the church began in Acts chapter 2, when Peter preaches this sermon at Pentecost, and 3,000 souls were added that day, How did they disciple them? Well, according to Acts 2, verses 46 through 47, day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. As Jesus would go about his ministry, the plan that he chose was to surround himself with a small group, a group of men in his case. Now, I don't know that it has to be necessarily in a home. It could be at a coffee shop, could be at a cafeteria, could be in a break room, could be in a barn, it could be in a hayfield, right? But the point is, when we look at Jesus' ministry, we might think of him preaching to the thousands, and he did. But much of his ministry was carried out in a small group, instilling his life into these people. As I work through this message today, I just want to share a little testimony, some testimonies of people who have been in small groups. Here's a a person whose name was Vonette. She said this. Make sure I get the, the right one here. She says, I came to this small group as a partier with an attitude. New to the Christian way of life, I liked drinking and dancing at the clubs, and it was hard to leave my boyfriend. When I was doing right, I came to the group. When I was doing wrong, I avoided coming. My small group leader's wife, Angie, kept calling me. I tried to avoid her because I knew she'd ask about my life. When she expressed her love and concern for me, I didn't believe her. I thought she knew me. She'd hate me if she really knew me. Yet over time, I saw that she accepted me even when she spoke strong words to me about my sin. And after talking and praying with her, I'd do right for a while, and then I'd go back to my old ways. At some point, I began to call Angie before I went out drinking or whatever. I know it's wrong, but I want to do it, I'd say. She'd answer, Vanette, 
You're calling me because you don't want to. I knew she was praying for me. The whole ordeal of breaking up with my boyfriend helped change me. I called Angie many times, raging against him, wanting to take revenge. She read me scripture and confronted me about my sin. Another turning point came when I told my small group about my situation. They prayed for me, and they prayed for my ex-boyfriend. At first, I felt angry. They were my friends, not his. But I knew in my heart they were right. Now I'm learning to pray for him instead of assassinating his character. I know God has saved me. I love being a part of the church. God has seriously changed my life. God would bring these men into his circle through Jesus, and as he would meet with them one by one, their lives would change as well. The second thing we see in this passage is that Jesus taught this small group of friends who he was and what his mission was. It says here in verse 13, And when day came, he called his disciples. So what does this word disciple mean? It means a student. Back in the first century, It wasn't unusual for a person, a young man, to be able to say, I admire that teacher or that rabbi. Perhaps he's heard that person speak before. It says, you know what I want to do? I want to study under that rabbi. And so, much like we would say at a university or a college, they would go and they would listen to that person. But you'll notice what it says here of Jesus It says, and when they came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve. Instead of the disciples choosing the rabbi with Jesus, Jesus chose his disciples. In John 15, verse 16, he said, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And Jesus was choosing them into a relationship with him. And there was a time where Jesus fed 5,000 men and their families. And so there was thousands of people out there. But Jesus would select 12 that would be his disciples, a part of his small group that he would teach himself. I think there is something within us all that we don't want to be alone. We don't want to be lonely. And I think I see that. Sometimes I get up early and I go to the Y, and I'll, I'll walk on my way to the basketball court, but I can't help but see people, and I'm wondering, what exactly are they exercising? Because it seems like all they're doing is exercising their jaw by talking. They're not exercising their arms or their legs or their chest, but, but I get it. People long for meaningful relationships. And then I think of times where I've gotten together for early breakfast or early cup of coffee, and, and I can't help but notice in virtually every place I go, whether it's Julie's on Velp, the pancake place on Military, down here at Panera Bread on Oneida, 
the McDonald's on Shawano. You just name it. There will always be a cluster of people that gather every morning to drink a cup of coffee together. Most of the time, they're retired, and they just like being together. Is that a small group? Well, not the way that I would define it, because I think a real small group has Jesus as their subject. A true small group has Jesus as their subject. It's not to say that these groups might not talk about Jesus, but oftentimes it's politics, it's the upcoming Packer seasons, it's, it's the weather, and it's family. But we see Jesus' small group was all about him calling the people to a relationship with himself. And I think that that's what our small groups here at Highland Crest ought to be about as well. It's not about just having a good discussion on the Bible. It's not about just having some passion and and even some people being transparent, of which all those things are good. But the true goal of these friendships and relationships, loved ones, is Christ-likeness. It's not only getting to know who Jesus is, but to become more like Jesus. That's what this is all about. Let me just share with you another story of a person that experienced the blessing of a small group. Her name was Laura. She says, when we first came to this church, we noticed how open the pastors were about their lives. We began visiting a small group and discovered that the leaders, Tom and Julie, were equally honest. So were the group members. In a discussion about suffering and God's sovereignty, we learned of the death of one couple's son. Bruce and I had been taught to ask God to supply our needs, but we had never heard of how suffering fit into the Christian life. We were seeing biblical truth applied in people's lives, and we hungered for more. Another time, I was struck by the humble way Julie, that's the the leader's wife, asked the group for prayer about her struggles in specific areas. The humility of the group members helps us receive their observations about our shortcomings. When Julie, privately and graciously, told me my older daughter had been disrespectful to her, I was embarrassed. But then Bruce and I realized the Lord was revealing an area where we had slacked off. So we became more consistent in training and disciplining our children. Our group's humility desire to change, and sincere willingness to help enabled us to let down our guards and to share our needs, hurts, desires, and sins. Recently, due to some financial and time pressures on top of a rough day of homeschooling, I called Julie in tears. She was so encouraging. Before coming to this church, I wouldn't have had the courage to ask a fellow church member for prayer and help in the middle of a difficult time. We've learned that we cannot grow in the Lord without a strong church and strong Christian friends. When God's truth is revealed, we need flesh and blood people applying it and living it out with us. So Jesus gathered a group of people around them. And what was this about? It was about teaching them who he was 
and his mission. But not only that, but then eventually Jesus... Maybe you can help me with the next slide. Sent this small group of friends out to do ministry. If you'll look again here at verse 13, it says, And when day came, he calls the disciples and shows from them twelve whom he named apostles. Now, to be sure, there are twelve apostles. And, and those are like any, those are unlike any that there are. But this word apostle just means sent out one. It means an ambassador. The concept is this, that there is one that you represent and you communicate his message to others. And so for Jesus, he was not just calling a group of friends to himself that would just learn facts about Jesus. It was all about then sending them out. You keep your finger here for a moment, and you look here at Luke chapter 9. Look at the first six verses of Luke chapter 9. It says, And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, Take nothing for the journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, and when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. Listen to verse 6. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. You see, it is not enough just to learn facts about Jesus and the gospel. A true small group goes out and shares the truths they are learning. One has said that if you want to kill a church, this is how you do it. You just leave the converts and you never turn the converts into disciples. And you never turn the disciples into apostles. But the truth is, we have a responsibility, loved ones, that when we hear of someone that has trusted Christ, we have to teach him who Jesus is and what his mission is. But then we also have the responsibility of not just sitting on that information, but sending them out. And this is Jesus' strategy. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to gather a group of men, a small group of men, And I'm going to invest my life into them. But then I'm going to turn them loose. And I'm going to send them out. One more story that I'd like to share. I want you to listen to this one. This one's name is is Lisa. She says, when my husband Scott and I attended our first small group meeting five years ago, the leader asked each person to express thankfulness for something. When I had to speak, I asked everyone to please look at the curtains instead of at me. Now, I kept attending, but I usually kept quiet, especially if there were people I didn't know. I thought my lack of participation was due to insecurity. 
I now know that the biblical definition is fear of man, which is sin. Last Thursday, there were more than a dozen at our women's meeting, including several I didn't even know. And I thought, I'm not even afraid to speak anymore. I've thoroughly changed. I believe 1 John 4, 18 describes what I've experienced. Perfect love drives out fear. My fear was driven out by the love of the people in our group. We encourage one another. We serve each other in practical ways. Just last week, as I shared a trial my husband and I were going through, people cried with me and prayed for us. Recently, my pastor asked me to speak to the whole church about overcoming the fear of man. I told the people I was facing my fear even as I spoke to them and that God had set me free. Later that afternoon, I went door to door in our neighborhood letting people know about an upcoming Christian event. I am so free. I want to do this again. The benefit of having a group of friends that will not be content to allow you to stay where you're at, but will move you along. Let me just share with you how we see small groups here at Highland Crest. A couple of years ago, there was a group of us, men and women, that were excited about the possibility of launching home small groups in our church. And so we met over a couple of different weeks, maybe three or four And we just kind of prayed and says, what do we want the small groups or what do you think God would have our small groups to look like here at Highland Crest? And this is what we said. They would meet weekly. We'd like our groups to have a leader and a co-leader. That is one that leads approximately three of the four uh, Sundays a month and then another co-leader that leads the other one with the design of developing that person as an eventual leader. We want to make sure that the Word of God is being read, it's being studied, it's being discussed, it's being applied. This is not a time for us to discuss our opinions on things. It's what does the Word of God have to say? We, we said we also want to make prayer a priority. In the small groups that I've participated in, we've set aside a half hour where we have our guys in one area of the house The girls in another area of the house, the guys, it's like, what's going on in your life this week? Hey, we prayed for this area this last week. How did that go? And it's an opportunity for each of the men or women to get honest and transparent with each other. I think there were a time or two when the men came out of our office and as we start walking out in the living room, we could hear some sobbing and crying taking place. So we said, hey, how about we go back into the office and... We'll just uh, kind of catch up on one another's week so we're being sensitive to what's going on in people's lives. And then the idea here is that this group just doesn't become so self-absorbed, but to look for opportunities to serve. It could be serving within a need within our church. It could be within the community as well. We've seen this summer of how that Wednesday night small group has went downtown and and handed out water, but offered to pray with each other. How magnificent that experience has been for that small group and those of you who have joined with us. And then finally, let's look at the fourth thing that we see in this passage. And that is, Jesus chose an ordinary and diverse group of friends. 
When you look at this list in verses 14, 15, and 16, that certainly could be a 12-week series. And we could just unpack every single one of these disciples. But when you just do a a 30,000 view of these disciples, you see a strange cast of characters. Consider with me Simon the Zealot. You talk about one that was political. He hated the Romans. And right next to him, or right across from a campfire as they would sit down with Jesus, was Matthew, the tax collector, a Jew that actually aligned himself with the Romans. Do you think that maybe they had some things to talk about during their three years together? You had two sets of brothers, James and John and and Peter and Andrew. So one-third of these 12 disciples were comprised of two families. Do you think maybe there were some favoritism accusations directed towards Jesus? Because it seems like these four were among the closest to Jesus. And how about Thomas, the doubter? As we look at how this story unfolds throughout the gospel, we do not see 12 men that were the best and brightest. I think we see some ordinary, diverse fellas. Do you remember some stories? Do you remember a time where Jesus was seated and the people were bringing all the children to him? And how did the disciples respond to that? Get them out of here. Get these children out of here. And Jesus would rebuke these disciples. Do you remember that James and John, as they went into a village comprised of Samaritans, And these Samaritans, because they were on their way to Jerusalem, rejected Jesus as the disciples. Do you remember what the sons and thunders' response were to that? Jesus, would you like us to call fire down and burn this village up? Because we can do that. Do you remember Simon, the leader, Peter, at his highest moment of which he affirmed that Jesus is the Son of God, just moments later when Jesus says, I'm on my way to Jerusalem to die, to be crucified, he said, may it never be, Lord. I'll never let that happen. These were men that lacked faith. They lacked understanding. They argued of who was the greatest They lacked power. And yet this was the group of friends that Jesus chose. Now let's be honest. To have Jesus in your small group is a major advantage. (laughs) Okay. But consider for a a moment what became of these apostles. It's astounding, isn't it? Because of these apostles and the Holy Spirit, we have the majority of the New Testament. They are the foundation of the church. They laid an example for us on how to live and how to lead. But there's also a reminder to us as we consider the last one in verse 16, and that is Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. It's a word of warning to all of us here today that say, I'm a follower of Jesus. Well, Jesus had those, quote, followers who eventually abandoned the faith. And loved ones, it is painful, is it not, when you invest in a group of people 
and one or two of them trail off as well. I'm reminded that if it happened to Jesus, it could happen to us as well. When it comes to the selection of these 12 friends, I'm reminded of what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1, 26-29. He said, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to the nothing things that are, so that no human beings might boast in the presence of God. You know, as I think about my high school days, I didn't even know what a salutatorian was. <laughs> or a valedictorian was until I was like a junior or senior. When it came time to identify the most popular, well, that went to a guy named Matt. When it went to a time of identifying the most athletic, that went to a guy named Joe. When it came time to identify the one most likely to succeed, that went to a guy named Ted. I was nowhere to be found on the yearbook of those popular pages. God has a specialty of taking a group of people that are just ordinary, diverse group, and say, you can be in my book, the Lamb's Book of Life. And that's not to say if you're a valedictorian, a salutatorian, most popular, most athletic, praise the Lord, we are grateful that you are, are among us. But here's the thing. There is a place in God's family, for you, for all of us. And God chooses to use us. So where's the application here? Let me just give this to you real quick. Let, let's just, let's be biblical, right? What Jesus did when it came to a small group is he prayed. He took the whole night praying and said, who, who should I have a part of this group? So as an application, I think a direct application, would you be willing to pray during the month of September, God, would you want me to be a part of a home group that meets sometime during the week here from Highland Crest? Just, just ask that. Who here doesn't need a group of friends? Maybe you only need one or two. Maybe you, maybe you just love to be around people. If you're new to our church, this would be ideal for you to kind of get to know some of the people within our church. You know, we used to do things like getting to know you meals, where we'd say, who wants to sign up for this? And we'd pair up, or, or groups of three or four families, or four or five singles, and we'd say, okay, for the next, whatever, three months, you're going to take a month at someone's house, another month at another person's house. And we see the value in that. Well, why not just say, let's, Let's just form some groups of friends. And maybe they're diverse, like Jesus' groups are. And evidently, you can do that because that's what Jesus did. So first of all, would you, at a minimum, be willing to pray about that? And then secondly, if you get a yes, wouldn't you sign up and then be faithful to a small group? So the small groups will begin... The month, the first, the first week of October, 
that will be carried through to Christmas, and we're going to provide some flexibility for all the different home small groups. And at this point, we're just wanting to see how many people would, would sign up, and then we'll pray through forming those groups. And we see the value of always having something to have strong families. And so we want to provide at least one study that would come along and, 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 and stimulate and encourage healthy marriages. If we just have an overwhelming swell of people that show interest in that, well, then we'll provide more than one home small group for that. Perhaps you're here today, and you you look at that, and you say, I already know that it's God's will for me to be a part of a small group. Well, you don't have to wait till the end of the month to sign up. You could offer your name and that information. You could say, I'm interested in joining, or I'm interested in hosting, I'm interested in leading, or any of these things, and you could fill out your name and tear that off. And today, you could put it in one of the offering boxes, and we'll just begin to formulate some of these small groups that will take place in the first week of October. Why do this? One of, the, one of the purposes or one of the foundations of our church is we want to be a church that has authentic relationships relationships that are encouraging one another to become more Christ-like. We think small groups can deliver that. From time to time, I hear someone say, I feel disconnected. No one is reaching out to me. I remember in the days in which I would lead the youth, there always seemed to be a handful of our students that would just isolate themselves. And we would say to some of the other students, why don't you go and sit next to so-and-so, or or why don't you go and invite them? And they would. But that person would never respond to that. So we can make a small group available. If you feel disconnected or you feel isolated, we can make it available to you. But loved one, then you've got to respond and say, "Then, then yes, I will. I will participate in it. Because when I hear that from time to time, I feel disconnected, here's going to be my response. Are you in a small group? Because that's how we want to connect people to one another, is in our small groups. So let me, let me invite you. Here's a group that I'd like you to participate in. So there it is. There's your application. Would you pray? And then when, if God says yes, then say yes to that and sign up. Would you pray with me, please? Father, I thank you for just being able to look at Jesus' life, to look at his ministry, to be reminded that, yes, he preached to the hundreds, he preached to the thousands, but so much of his ministry was just in a small group, investing himself into a collection of men, that he would not only teach, he would model, but then he would send them out. And I think each of us here have a craving that people would know our name, to know what is going on in our life, to be able to pray for us. And we have an outlet that we want to be like that for others as well. So Lord, I pray that you would, you would do something magnificent this fall, where there would just be a swell of a response saying, that's really what I'm looking for, or I'm going to give that a try. I want to be connected to a group of friends that will look after me 
that I will be able to look after and have some meaningful friendships that will drive me to becoming more like Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.